It is a blessing to be here. Appreciate all of you coming to the conference and uh, great things may say more along that line uh, tonight. We've got a little more time. Uh, I have, I'm going to address different things, but I'll give a little bit of a different uh, beginning of the message than you would expect uh, with what preacher started. Uh, turn your Bible to John 3.16. I'm going to read one verse there. I'm going to quote some other verses uh, here and there. And I uh, thought maybe I'd uh, preach on, the, on love. Uh, that's always a good thing to preach about. And uh, everybody ought to love you when you preach on love. Uh, but then you get into the implications of love and what is involved in that. And uh, anyhow, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, when I sign Bibles, as I do occasionally, uh, you know, somebody, uh, I'll pay people to line up so I can sign their Bible or whatever, and, uh, you know, makes me feel good, or my wife pays them, then I'm in a good mood when I go home, and, uh, you know, anyhow, I do sign John 3.16. I, I love uh, that verse, the simplicity of the, of the gospel. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that you'd... Uh, Bless and guide in this time this morning, and uh, Holy Spirit, speak to hearts, make my mind clear, make the presentation clear, and uh, convey truths to our souls, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, John three sixteen. there, the Bible says, uh, for God so loved the world. I thank God that he loved me. He has loved me, he so loved me. And he so loved me that he gave. Uh, love of God is a marvelous thing to think that God would love us. You know, nothing desirable about us that he should love us. Most time when we look at love as individuals, we think, well, I, I love him because he is so nice. I love her because she's nice to me and she cares for me and, and she, you know, she's pretty or whatever. And uh, so I love her because of what she does for me. Uh, when you look at God's love, there isn't anything lovable about us. God's love for us is not based at all on us. It's based on his character. And God loves me. Not on my goodness, not on my looks, not based on how I treat him, not based on my response to him. God simply loves me because of who he is. And if you've got Christian love in your heart for people, you ought to love people because of you. My wife and I love each other. I try and be good to her. Sometimes I'm not, but she still loves me. Sometimes she's not perfect, but I still love her. We have three children. I love my children. Sometimes they're good growing up. Sometimes they weren't so good growing up. And they get older. They're in, all in their 40s now. Or, I love my children. Nothing else. I mean, you say, well, what if they did this, or what if they did that, or what if they did something? I love my children. Amen. I think most any parent would say that. Amen. I love my college kids. Amen. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not so good. Sometimes you got to say, what in the world? I remember Brother Fugit and I were meeting with some 
young men, you know, this was probably 15 years ago or more. And uh, they had done something. Brother Hugo said, what in the world were you guys thinking? He said, I know the answer to that. You weren't thinking. <laughs> but I love them. Love my bus kids. You know, and by the way, in talking about the love of God and just kind of introduction, it wouldn't hurt you to love people based on your character, not theirs. Some of you struggle with your parents, and some of you have parents or uh, others that, uh, you know, aren't what they ought to be. But you ought to love them and treat them right and honor your parents regardless. That's just an aside. That's not the theme of the message. But anyhow, love in the Bible is an action verb. When I was in junior high or someplace in there, they taught me that there were two kinds of verbs. There are linking verbs, you know, like, Brother Jorgensen is good-looking. That links Brother Jorgensen to good-looking. You say, oh, Brother Jorgensen, that's a lie. No, uh, anyhow. Uh, you know, but that would be a linking verb. I am happy. I am, it, it kind of puts two things together a little bit like an equal sign. Uh, it is warm uh, or whatever. And then there are action verbs like Bill hit the ball. Uh, you know, where he did an act. In the Bible, love is an action verb. We use the word love today and we think mostly about a warm, gooey feeling that we get when everything's going right or, you know, something or other. Love in the Bible is an action verb. When you look at the love of God, God says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's love inspired him to do something, not just to have a feeling. But he gave his only begotten son so that I could be saved, although I don't deserve it. I don't have anything about me that's lovely. There's no reason he should have done that. If God were like some of us, we'd say, well, man, Adam, you, you, I gave you everything and you went out and you disobeyed me and you did wrong. That's it. I'm through with you. So long. Glad God doesn't feel that way. God loved and he gave. Love in the Bible always acts. John 14 and uh, verse 15, now here you go. Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. A lot of us in here would say, probably most all of us would say, oh, sure, I love God. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> kind of, well, I don't hate him. I mean, I'm here, I'm saved, I love God. Well, God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that, verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words. He, verse 24, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. How do you know if you love God or not? According to the Bible, whether or not you keep his commandments. You know, I mean, being a Christian is more, and trying to live for God and love God is more than just saying, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I read my Bible a little bit, show up at church some, put some money in the offering plate a little bit, and, or show up at church faith. If you're going to be a Christian, if you love God, you're going to have to do what he says. I mean, it's not just a matter of you know, being a Christian is loving God. It's more than just showing up. You're going to have to keep his commandments. Then you get down to, well, what are God's commandments? What does he want me to do? You find those in the Bible. You know, and, and sometimes, well, God didn't really speak to me about that. The way God speaks to you is through his word. 
No, God didn't speak to me about my music. Yeah, he did. It's right in here. God didn't speak to me about, uh, you know, staying pure. Sure he did. It's in here. You know, you, you, you know where you hear God speak? Thou shalt not steal. He just told me. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I just, I just heard it. Say, so you mean your Bible's making? No, I, it, the words are in there. God done the same thing about witnessing and soul winning and uh, serving God and everything else. Well, God didn't speak to me about that. Sure he did. It's in the Bible. That, that's where, that, these are God's words, aren't they? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every word in this book is true. And the Bible is right about absolutely everything. If the Bible says it, it's true. Amen. Bible says this is false, it's false. Bible says it's true, it's true. My opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. His opinion doesn't matter. What does God say? And God is right about everything. Absolutely everything. The Bible is always right. Say, well, I don't believe it. Doesn't matter, it's still right. What if not, some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make, Romans 3, 3 and 4, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Well, I just don't believe that. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's what it is. You and I go soul winning. Sometimes I'll talk to people that will say, well, I just don't believe that. Like that's supposed to make it not so. And uh, you know, it really doesn't matter what they believe or what I believe in terms of what's true. God is right about everything. God is right about salvation. God is right about your life values. God is right about right and wrong. God is, I mean, you know, one of the biggest differences between the world today and the Christian is that we believe that some things are just true. True for everybody, all the time, everywhere, because God said them in the Word of God. The world say, we don't know what true is. We're trying to find it all the time. It's always changing. God's got the answer in his book. You know, I graduated Princeton University. Graduation uh, speech there, the commencement address, was brought by the president of the university, and uh, he Basically, the commencement address said, uh, you know, young man, it was all men back then, young men, uh, you've been here four years, you've learned a lot, but I hope you realize that not everything you've learned is true. And I thought, wow. I'm out of full scholarship, but somebody paid a lot of money, and I spent a lot of hours studying to learn things they didn't even know are true. He said, you know, truth is always changing, and it's a matter of opinion, and we really don't know, and that's the idea of the world. So different than, as a Christian, every word in this book is true. God is right about everything. The world will tell you, well, we don't know what's right and what's wrong. It's up to you to decide. No, it's not up to you to decide. It's up to you to read the word of God and see what God says. It's not a matter of, well, I think, you know, you need to, people will say sometimes in preaching, I've said it in the past, well, you've got to figure out for yourself what's right and wrong. Not exactly. You've got to figure out for yourself maybe what God said is right and wrong. 
But it's not like you decide what you think is right and wrong, and you decide, and Daniel will decide what he thinks is right and wrong. Brother Smith, I mean, he decides everything is wrong. And, uh, you know, you just... So it's okay for you and not for... No! God has set what's right and wrong. And, uh, you know, it's it's in this book. Uh, That's true about creation and evolution and everything else. It's true about gender and sex. And this preacher asked me to touch on this kind of thing. He said, Brother Jorgensen, I thought you were preaching about love. Yes, if you love God, you keep his commandments. Genesis 20 and uh, 24, verse 20, it says, uh, Adam needed a partner. Not a quote. Adam needed a partner. And so who did God give Adam a partner, to be a partner? Hmm. He gave him a woman. So I just think partners could... No, God's plan is a man and a woman. God didn't create another man to be his partner. So, well, God, you know, they could have had more fun. They could have gone... You wouldn't go hunting and fishing yet because it hadn't had death come yet until they sinned, but... Anyhow, go camping, I guess. Somebody they have houses? I mean, I don't know. But God made, gave Adam a woman. Verse uh, 20, uh, later in the chapter there, it tells you you're supposed to leave your father and mother and cleave unto your wife. Jesus repeated the same thing in Matthew 19, 4 to 6. He says, God made him male and female, you to leave your father and mother. And as I said last year, and some of this repeat from last year, but every one of us, every one of us, every one of you has a father and mother. You know, public school books now, you know, you read stories, you know, Billy has two fathers. No, he doesn't. I guarantee you, if he's alive, he has a father and a mother. It's the only way it happens. So, well, you know, Billy has two mothers. Uh Uh-uh. He's got a mother and a father. Now, the father may not be in part of his life anymore. And he may be, you know, staying with his mother who's living with another woman. But he has a father and mother. Guarantee it. And you cleave unto your husband and wife. That's the Bible pattern. Everything in this book teaches that. Bible teaches homosexuality is, is a wicked sin. You know, I mean, now back to Matthew. Uh, Cleave unto your wife, they shall be one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Marriage. Homosexuality, according to the Bible, is a wicked sin. You say, well, the Bible doesn't speak about it. Sure it does. Whoever told you the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality didn't read the Bible. Leviticus 18, verse 13, verse 22, says man shall not lie, close to a quote, man shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. How could you be any more clear than that? Man shall not lie with mankind as with woman. That's an abomination. Same thing for a woman with a woman. It's an abomination. 
You read uh, Romans chapter 1, and we spent quite a bit of time on that last year at NYFC, going through those verses, verses 25 to 27, clear as it can be. Man, you know, man, women left the natural use of the man for that which is against nature and so on. I mean, it clearly condemns it in a ton of other references, several, quite a, a lot of other references that teach homosexuality is wrong. God hates it. God hates it enough to destroy cities and nations engaging in it. In the Old Testament, God viewed it as an abhorrent act, a capital crime punishable by death. Leviticus 18 and uh, 22 and chapter 20, verse 13 may have given a wrong reference there earlier. New Testament, Paul says in Romans that God condemns it. I mean, in the strongest terms there. It's just, it's wrong. Somebody says, well, you know, they say that's the way God made them. Well, do I believe them or do I believe God? The Bible says it's unnatural. If you have those desires, it's because some society and your sin nature or whatever have worked on you to change the natural desires that God put in you. The desires of a man for a woman, the desires of a woman for a man are natural, God-given desires that within marriage, the fulfillment of which in marriage is proper and good and wonderful. Outside of marriage or not between a man and a woman, it's wrong, according to the Bible. And uh, again, you know, it doesn't, well, I think, doesn't matter what you think or what I think. New Testament, I just read that. It's an unnatural rela- homosexual relationships, male and male, female and female, are unnatural. They're contrary to God's plan for the human race. They're going to destroy the home and the family. I think, homo, I think homosexuality, you know, somebody in here on Dolly said, well, I tried it once or I did something. Or I, I, you know, we did, you know, what you did once doesn't mean you have to continue doing it forever. A thousand people here today, you know, there's probably somebody that has. It's promoted so to young people and on the internet and everything else. But because you do something wrong once doesn't mean you have to keep doing it wrong the rest of your life. So somebody, well, no, they told me that since I did that, that must be what I am. I'm trapped in this forever. You're kidding. That's not the Bible. It's not what God says. You're not trapped in sin that you can't get out of. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful with the temptation. Also make, will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That's what I read in the Bible. I mean, it's an act. It can be forgiven. Somebody said, well, Brother Jorgensen, you're preaching against homosexuality. You're saying it's just a sin. Don't you think God loves those people? Sure he does. He loves them enough that he died for them. It's more than you love him, more than I love him. He loved him enough that he died for him. But because God loves somebody doesn't mean he approves of everything they do. God doesn't approve of everything I do. I sin sometimes. You don't have to say amen that loudly. 
But God doesn't approve of everything you do, but he still loves you. Mentioned my wife and I have three children. Growing up there, most of the time they're pretty good. Sometimes they weren't so good. We didn't approve of everything they did, but we always loved them. You know, to say, well, don't you think God loves them too? Sure he does. But that doesn't mean he approves of everything they do. He certainly doesn't approve. I say, how do you know he doesn't approve of that? Because I read it in the Bible. I mean, it's just there. And you move on here and uh, talk a little bit about this whole transgender thing, which is just a joke. Uh, you know, the world trying to say, well, we want to be, tra- we want to be scientific. There's nothing scientific about that. There's no measurement. There's no test. There's no anything. World will you know, talk about you know, transgender, a definition I found somewhere. Uh, somebody is transgender if their personal sense of gender does not correspond with their birth gender. I'm not even sure what that means. What's your personal sense of gender mean? People say, and now in the world they'll say, well, you're gender assigned at birth. Gender is not assigned at birth. Your gender or your your sex is determined at conception. It is observed at birth, and with sonograms nowadays, they observe it earlier than birth. Say, oh, you're going to have a boy, you're going to have a girl. Well, how do they know it's going to be a boy six months before, or four months, whatever it is? (laughs) My wife and I were having children. We waited till they were born to find out back in those days. Say, when was that? Well, Abraham Lincoln was president. Noah had just gotten off the ark. But I mean, you know, whenever, you know, before they're born, you say, you're going to have a boy. I thought you had to wait until they were 13 to find out it was a boy or a girl, according to the world. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, it just, it's silly. Gender or sex is determined at conception and it's observed at birth. You can, a woman conceives when you have a cell from the female, a cell from the male, they unite. If you got two X's, the chromosomes, two X chromosomes, you're a woman. If you've got an X and a Y, you're a man. That biological pattern is determined at conception. And it involves just about every cell in your body, your teeth, your hair, your flesh, every cell. You got an X and a Y if you're a guy or two X's if you're a girl. It's not just your reproductive organs or something else. It's just about every cell in your body. And it, 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 it's, it's what you are. You can cut off body parts. You can sew on body parts. You can give hormones. You can do those other drugs. But you still got an X and a Y or an X and an X. You can make it an abnormal male or an abnormal female or a mutilated male or a mutilated female, but it's a male or a female. That's all there is. God created man and woman. He didn't create anything else. And you get men in a male body, you've got 
you know, d different sports. Well, he identifies as a girl, so he's going to compete in girls' sports. Only chance he's got to win, I guess. So are you saying males are better than women? No. Females? No. I mean, we're different. Males have higher hemoglobin levels so they can oxygenate their muscles and body more quickly than females because you carry higher hemoglobin levels in your body. You have lar males have larger hearts and lungs and you pump more blood. You've got bigger, males have bigger and stronger bones. Our bodies are just different. That's why male athletes outperform female athletes. I mean, they just do. You look at world records. And uh, it just goes on and on. But uh, yeah, look, sex is not assigned at birth and surgery cannot change it. That, I mean, that's science. It's not gender dysphoria or being discomfortable with your gender or your sex is very painful. But the answer to it is not mutilating your bodies or taking drugs that are going to make you unable to have children and keep your body from developing properly. The answer is understanding God's plan for your life and learn to be comfortable in your situation. Sometimes you, you know, somebody will come in, a young boy will feel like, well, my mother, he may think, my mother likes my sister better than me. If I were a girl, she'd love me more. I want to be a girl. And so he'll go to the doctor, and the doctor will say, okay, that's fine. Here's your prescriptions, and this is, that's what you want. That's what you do. That doesn't make any sense. Why don't you get some counsel, see your pastor, and figure out God made you. It's not about that. Somebody said to me one day, Brother Jorgensen, I imagine it's always been hard on you in your life being so short. Uh -huh. No. I, I like what size I am. I think you and I are about the same height. I think it's great height. I never thought about that. But if I had, and I went, I went to the doctor, I said, yo, doctor, I'm just, I have height dysphoria. I'm uncomfortable in being my height. Doctor wouldn't say, okay, good. We'll start doing surgery. I think we can graft in and put an extra six inches of uh, bone in each of your calves, and we'll put in four inches. That's dumb. And he'd ruin my health. He'd mess me up for life. You don't give medical service because somebody wants it. You get medical service when you, somebody needs it and then considering the, anyhow, transitioning, quote unquote, will probably not bring relief from the pain. The relief from the pain is going to come from studying the scripture and the word of God and getting counsel. You get into that stuff, suicide is a serious risk. Medical care and treatment should not be given because the patient wants it. 
Doctors and patients should consider the overall and long-term welfare of the patient before they do something like that. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Number three, adultery and fornication is wrong, and I'll try and move quickly. Exodus 20, 14 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, same kind of verse there. <clears throat> world says live together and try it. You know, the philosophy of the world when it comes to dating and marriage, you see it on television, you see it everywhere now, is find somebody you like, get together, enjoy a physical relationship some. If it's going pretty good, move in together, live together a while. See if it's going pretty good. If it is and you have children, then uh, maybe you want to think about getting married. I mean, that's the basic philosophy of marriage and dating and everything else that the world promotes. And it's as anti-Bible as anything could be. The Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's pretty plain. The Bible condemns fornication. And he said, well, it's all wrong. Basically the same thing. The Bible says you ought to stay pure. Best way to stay pure is to don't start down that road. I think couples shouldn't hold hands, shouldn't kiss, and all that stuff before they get married. But if you say, well, I don't know, I think holding hands would be okay as long as it doesn't go beyond that. I mean, there's nothing. I guarantee you this. If you don't start holding hands, you're probably not going to start little kisses here and there. If you don't start little kisses here and there, you're probably not going to get into long, passionate kisses. And if you don't get into long, passionate kisses, you're probably not going to other things that you shouldn't be doing, and you're not going to wind up pregnant. So I think you can put the line a little bit further over. I don't know, maybe, maybe so. I, again, I like where we've got it here. But if you don't let somebody set up a line for you somewhere, you're going to wind up like one girl that sat in my office crying probably 25 years ago. said, Brother Jorgensen, we both wanted to stop, just never at the same time. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. And uh, keep your life pure. Best way to stay pure is to stay out of situations where you can become impure. God's plan is clearly one man and one woman for life. And, uh, I mean, you read the Bible, you study anything about that. Jesus said, look, if you love me, keep my commandments. I mean, do you love God? And it gets into other things, talked about uh, sexual type sins and so on here this morning gets into the other things that we have, and I'll just toss out quickly. The Bible does say, look not on wine when it's red, when it moveth itself in the cup. Drinking and alcohol, Proverbs 23, 31, a lot of other scriptures is just wrong. Ought to dress like a man or dress like a woman. I still, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't wear garments that pertain to the opposite gender, Deuteronomy 22, 5. Women, your britches, your jeans, your slacks, these leggings that are as immodest as anything could be. 
This is wrong. Women ought to wear skirts and dresses. Say, boy, you're hitting a lot. I thought you were preaching about love, Brother Jorgensen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Are those commandments or not? Are they in here or not? Since God really loved you, he gave his only begotten son that you could get saved. If you really love God, you'll want to obey his commandments. You want to keep right. You want to serve him. It's a wonderful life to serve God. Pleasures of sin that are there and some sins have some ple- are, are very brief. You want to serve God with your life.